Sorry about that. My battery died, so I had to get a new microphone. So anyway, uh, good morning again, Cornerstone. Thankful again for you to join us here this morning, and we're beginning a new series through the book of Daniel. And Daniel, uh, as you might have guessed by the reading of Daniel 1, he is a prophet. He is able to have visions and dreams, and he can interpret these things for others. And so he is a prophet whose name actually means, Daniel means, God is my judge. And so he was a Jew, Jew uh, living in Judah, which was the southern kingdom after the split of Israel. Israel split into two kingdoms after Solomon. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdoms continued to be called Israel. And the southern kingdom was called Judah. And so Israel was actually exiled before already by the Assyrians, um, but now Judah is about to be, or they just are, exiled to Babylon by the Babylonians. And we see what happens here when uh, Nebuchadnezzar takes over Judah and takes these people into the land of Babylon. And so Judah fell into the hands of the Babylonians right around 600 B.C. That's the time frame that we're looking at here. And so this takes place, this whole book takes place in Babylon. And the story goes until we see the fall of Babylon, where the Persian Empire then comes in to succeed it shortly thereafter. And that happens around 530 B.C. So the total time frame here is from around 600 B.C. to 530 B.C. So Daniel enters Babylon because he, along with his three friends and others as well, are taken there to be trained in Babylonian culture, art, and literature. And the point is for them to eventually serve in Babylon, to be useful servants in Babylon. And Daniel and his friends are one of the many who are taken there, and it's basically a mass deportation of people uh, beginning this uh, new period in the life of Israel where they're no longer able to stay in their homeland. They're going to a new land, and they're forced to leave the land they were originally living in. And we see that this culminates in the burning of the temple of Jerusalem, which, t- which is located in Judah, at around five, uh, 580 B.C., around that time. And so all of this is happening, but it's happening under the sovereignty of God, meaning God is in control of what is happening And we see later on in the book of Daniel that the reason why the Jews fell to Babylon is because this was the Lord's judgment upon them. God said that if they were unfaithful to the terms of the Mosaic law, ultimately the Ten Commandments, if they were unfaithful to these terms and the terms of the covenant that that God had made with them, then they would be captured and they would be sent to exile. And God was true to his word because they disobeyed. And again, this culminates in the burning of the temple in Jerusalem. So here in the beginning of the book of Daniel, we see Daniel has been taken into exile with his three friends. And they're named here, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But then we see they're given new names. Daniel is given the name Belteshazzar, and the rest are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So in this first chapter, we see how Daniel and his friends are being pressured 
to give up their Jewish identity. And in spite of everything, they seek to be faithful and undefiled in how they live. And more importantly, we can see that God is sustaining them, sustaining them in their faithfulness. And that's the central theme of the book of Daniel. We see that God is faithful, and God is able to be faithful to his people. And he is able because God is all-powerful and all, is in control of all things. He is sovereign over all. And so before we continue on, let's pray, and let's see the ways in which God was able in this first chapter of Daniel. So let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for your truth. We pray that as we see more and more of your faithfulness, God, we would see how amazing it is to know you, to trust in you, and how that is ultimately culminated and fulfilled in what Jesus has done for us. So God, as we look into the book of Daniel and as we go into this new series, we pray for your hand to be upon us, for your spirit to speak into us, to open our hearts, to see more and more of your goodness and your truth. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, during the Holocaust, you may, many of you or most of you should know what that is, uh, during World War II, it's the systematic execution of the Jews that occurred by the Nazis. Uh, one little uh, unknown fact is that along with the Jews who died in concentration camps, camps, many Christians also died in concentration camps. Actually, in Auschwitz, the, one of the big uh, concentration camps, around 200,000 of the prisoners were non-Jewish prisoners. Most of them had some type of Christian affiliation. So we're talking about Roman Catholics, Greek Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, and even Protestants as well, where we would say our tradition comes from. Now, in the face of such persecution, the Christian faith oftentimes does spread. Right? When there's a lot of persecution, we see the, the truth of the gospel spreading and exploding. Like currently, the church currently in the Middle East and certain parts of Asia where there's more persecution, we see the church exploding. Hundreds, thousands of people coming to know Jesus. And we don't hear about it because a lot of it is done hush-hush or underground, and we don't hear a lot of these stories. We hear them here and there. But in many of these places, we see the church of Jesus Christ exploding. But unfortunately, we also see a flip side where when we see uh, persecution and we continue to face it over and over again, it can be devastating to Christians. And it is devastating. It's very unfortunate that persecution still happens in our day and age. And the most unfortunate is that there have been situations where some have left the faith because of persecution. Seeing these atrocities, seeing the constant battles that people go through on a day-to-day basis, some question, why would God allow such a thing? Why would God allow such evils to happen to people who genuinely seek to honor and praise the Lord? Well, that's a difficult question to answer here today. But we can see the reality that it is easy to lose our faith in a sovereign God who loves his people when we face 
persecution. And you could see how it would certainly be easy for the Israelites here to lose their faith in a good, faithful, loving, and sovereign God, considering their circumstances, being taken over by the Babylonians, losing their house of worship. Daniel and the Israelites were being persecuted and being coerced to give up their faith in the true and living God. And that is the first observation we see in our text today. So let's go through that together. First, it starts in verse 2. Let's read it together. And it says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and places the vessels in the treasury of his God. So this land of Shinar refers back to Genesis 11. And if you don't know Genesis 11, it's the story of the Tower of Babel. And so Babel, Babylon, you can guess it's the same place. This is where the people defied God by building up a tower to glorify themselves. Then the Lord eventually punishes them, and he confuses their language because they're so puffed up. They're so prideful trying to build a glorious city just for themselves. And so as a result of the confusing of languages, they scatter with the people that they can communicate with, and they no longer are centralized in Babel. So it's already a clear indication that this is an evil place. This is a bad place they are in. We further see this in verse 5, where it says, The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So they were being fed daily portion of the royal rations of food. So now the point of this, according to scholars, is that the Babylonians wanted these Jews to be weaned from their Jewish foods and customs. And these royal foods were meant to entice them. They were luxurious. They were amazing. They were the high-calorie, delicious foods that are probably bad for you types of things that they were given. And as we all know, those foods are very tempting, and they are amazing, and we would probably want to eat those things if we were in the position of the Jews. But the Jews had a very strict diet. They had a very different diet. They had to follow certain laws, and that is what being kosher is. And we can see you know, in the kosher meats that we might buy or kosher salt that we see they have a very systematic way of producing their food. And that's what being kosher is. And some Jews practice that today. And that's why we still have kosher foods. And basically, they wanted them to no longer be kosher. They had to be Babylonian in everything that they were doing. And that's why they were even forced to change their names, like I mentioned in the beginning. And you can imagine how dehumanizing that is. Being told to leave your culture behind, leave your food behind, leave your heritage beyond, behind, and take on this new one to the point where you have to change your name. And many of us here are immigrants or children of immigrants, and you may have felt this, where you 
felt like you had to change your name, take on an English name to fit in better so that people don't butcher or mess up your non-English name or like, oh, how do you say that again? I had been made fun of by others for my Korean name, so I never wanted to even share it with those who could not properly pronounce it. They'd, they'd make fun of me. They'd say, that sounds weird. That sounds funny. And it feels dehumanizing when people do that. It feels like you're losing a sense of who you are. And for the Jews, it carried even more weight because it was not only their ethnic identity, like it is for most of us, or their, our cultural identity. It is also their spiritual identity. It's their religious identity. That is what is being taken away from them as well. And so Daniel and his friends were, were forced to change their names, and they were given new names. And like I mentioned a little bit earlier, they have meaning as well. Their names had meaning. They testified to the glory of God and the grace of God. And so Daniel, like I mentioned earlier, means God is judge. Hananiah means God has been gracious. Mishael means who is what God is, basically meaning who is like our God. And lastly, Azariah means God has helped, or God is our helper. So these meaningful, beautiful names were replaced by Babylonian names that gave honor to the Babylonian gods instead. And so Daniel's new name, Belteshazzar, referred to the head god Marduk. Shadrach was Hananiah's new name, which was a reference to the moon god, Aku. Mishael became Meshach, Meshach, whose name was also referring to the same god, Aku. And Abednego, Azariah's new name, was in reference to the god Nebo, which was the god of wisdom and agriculture. And so these young men were now to live in service to these Babylonian gods and to these Babylonian people. Daniel and his friends were being persecuted, being coerced to give up their faith, give up their identity as followers of their God, of the true and living God. And we know that we face persecution as well. It's not quite the same, obviously, and I don't really like comparing what we deal here in America compared to what others deal with where they are in physical danger because of what they may believe. But we do face a certain type of persecution here. Right? People uh, say things about what we believe. They mock us for what we believe, especially for our younger generations. It is harder and harder to be a, a faithful Christian in school. They say that you're closed-minded, that what you believe is discriminatory, and we see that the morals and values of what we believe according to the Bible, according to what God says, is the opposite of what the world tells us is important and valuable. And so we know that our Christian morals in many ways do not line up with what our schools teach us, what the world tells us about what is good and right. The second observation that we see from our text is that God allows for them to be persecuted. Going back to verse 2, we see that the Lord let King Jehoiakim fall. Right? The Lord gave Jehoiakim over into the hands of Babylon. Jehoiakim was given over to them. God allowed 
for it. You see, God is sovereign once again. He is sovereign over these things. And we will see that later on in Daniel and that the reason why he allows this is because of Judah's constant disobedience, as I mentioned. So even though God is not the cause of the bad things that happen to us, not the cause of why Judah was given over to Babylon, we see that still God is still in control of everything. Right? He is not the one that has put them in this situation. The Israelites themselves did this. They disobeyed. They did not fulfill their part of the covenant. And so God allows for them to be taken over. He, gave, he gives them over. And we see this over and over again in Daniel and in the scriptures. He decided not to intervene in this moment on behalf of the kingdom of Judah. And even though things are looking bad for them, we can still see God is working here. God is working his good and faithful plan, even in the midst of persecution. And this is another reminder for us that in the midst of persecution and suffering for us, God is still working for our good. God is still faithful to us, his people, who declare the truth of what Christ has done. So again, sometimes God allows for these things to happen to us so that people would draw closer to him as a result. And it is sometimes in these sufferings and persecutions that wake us up to see who God is and that we truly need God, that he is truly worthy of our praise and worship. So verse 8 is where we see a turn in the, the book, in the chapter for us. We see Daniel is determined to not defile himself. He would not eat the king's food or the wine. And he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him to not, to, to not defile himself. Daniel is showing that he wants to be a Jew. He wants to be an Israelite, not a Babylonian. His God is not Marduk, but it is the true God who is our judge. So in addition to the food perhaps not being kosher, right, meaning it wasn't using the proper animals, it wasn't using the proper parts of animals, it wasn't prepared under the strict laws, but it also may have been offered to the Babylonian gods themselves as a sacrifice. That was oftentimes the custom of, of these foods, these royal foods. They were first sacrificed to the gods before they were offered to the people. And so another reason why Daniel would not want to participate in this, it is participating in the worship of a false god. And Daniel here is risking his life in doing this. He is risking his life by not following the rules, by not going along with the program. And we may have felt this before as well. It may feel like going along with the program ourselves is better even though it may be immoral for us. I see this dilemma in many students now, high school, college, where because cheating is so rampant in our culture, especially in high school and college, Many Christian students feel that they need to cheat as well. They need to get on board with this, even though we know that it is wrong. It is immoral behavior. And when they even begin to justify themselves, saying things like, is it really cheating if everyone else does it? And the answer is yes, it is still cheating, even if everyone else does it. But it may feel that if you don't go along with this, if you don't go along 
with this cheating culture, then you're going to be at a disadvantage. Right? You're going to be left behind. Sometimes feel this way about their taxes. Right? I'm going to cheat on my taxes because everyone else cheats on their taxes. Especially the richest people cheat on their taxes. They find loopholes here and there to avoid paying taxes each year. And I need to get what's what I deserve, what belongs to me. This money doesn't belong to the government. They don't even use it well. We make these justifications, right, why we do this. But that's not what being faithful is. That's not being faithful to the Lord and his commands. That is not submitting to the authorities as God commands us to, as Paul tells us in Romans 16. Now, these examples are nowhere near as bad as Daniel's situation. Daniel is risking his life here. You know, and you wonder, why would Daniel and his friends care about this so much? Well, there are some different views, but based on what's going on, and you may be getting a sense of this already, Daniel and his friends were losing their Jewish identity, and they were being tempted to no longer worship the true God. And that was still important to them. It was the most important thing to them. So the best explanation for us is that Daniel and his friends wanted to avoid this luxurious food that they were being offered at the king's table as a way to protect, them, protect themselves from being captivated by the temptations of the Babylonian culture. They used their kosher diet to be distinct from the Babylonians. They wanted to separate themselves from them and retain their Jewish ethnicity and religion. That's why a lot of times for us, whether we're Chinese or any other ethnicity, we hold on to our ethnic foods because it's a huge part of holding on to our ethnic identities. And so refraining from this food is a way for, the, for Daniel and his friends to do the same, to not forget that they belong to the true God, that they are from a Jewish tradition that honors and worships Yahweh. They don't want to lose their God. They don't want to worship another God. They want to continue to worship the true God. And it makes sense for us, too. It makes sense for us. We see this among Christians as well. Christianity is declining here in America and has been declining since the 1990s. And there are many reasons for why this is. But one of the reasons is that we are being more secularized as Christians. And many Christians are acquiescing to the culture around us. And a natural result, of course, is that we're going to lose our identity as Christians. Of course, that doesn't mean we need to totally isolate ourselves and live in monasteries, right, away from the world. That's not what I'm saying. But no matter what happens around us, whether we're talking about what the world says about gender, about sexuality, about racism, about money, about power, we are called to live according to the truth of Christ and his word. And we know that it's getting harder and harder to do so. It's becoming more hostile for us as Christians, and it's becoming easier for us to acquiesce to the world around us. And the more we lose our foundation of Christ as the center of our lives, the more and more we see that we will acquiesce to what the culture tells us is true and good. So Daniel and his friends are taking a stand. And we know that this stand can mean death for them because they are disobeying the direct command of their authorities. 
But in verse 9, we see that God shows favor upon his faithful people. And that is our third observation from the text today. Verse 9 says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. It's amazing, again, to see this language of God giving. God gave, again, where we see the sovereignty of God, again, overarching all that is going on here. So God worked in the heart of this chief of the eunuchs by humoring this idea from Daniel, this test that Daniel suggests. Right? The chief of eunuchs is obviously worried that he'll get in trouble with the king if Daniel does not comply. Right? And, and Daniel then offers this test. This test to the steward of the chief that if you give them vegetables and water for 10 days, then you can compare. How did Daniel and his friends look compared to the other people who eat this amazing food from the king's table. Then afterwards, you can deal with them and you can punish them if they do not look better than these other people. So for some reason, they agree to this test. Whatever reason it is, and we can see God's work in this. And after 10 days, Daniel and his friends looked better than these other youths. And they were allowed to keep their kosher diet. And we see God showed favor upon his faithful people by allowing them to have good health and allowing them to keep their diet, to keep their laws. In verse 17, we also see that God gave knowledge and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom. Daniel also had insight into all visions and dreams. This is the third time the author of Daniel writes, God gave. God gave Judah into the hand of Babylon. God gave Daniel the favor and compassion of the chief. God gave knowledge and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom. God has been in control and has now finally gifted special gifts to Daniel and his friends. With Daniel having the supernatural gift of seeing visions and interpreting dreams And we see he will use that eventually. And because of these gifts, they were promoted. And they were considered to be ten times better than all the other advisors. God has put them in a position where they could be a blessing to their captors, but also to build up their Jewish society, to build up their people, to create this new Jewish society in a new land, in a foreign place, so that they can still be distinct from the Babylonians, so that they can worship their God, that they can be true and faithful to him. And all of this for the glory of his name. And so we see the longevity of Daniel here as well. We see uh, that Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus in verse 21, the last verse of our chapter. That's important because that's a time indicator that shows how long Daniel was there. And so Daniel found favor with the Babylonians for 70 years. Seven, zero. That means that God was faithful to Daniel throughout all those 70 years of exile. The Babylonian kings came and went. There were numerous kings during this time. But God sustained Daniel and his friends and his people. So in the same way, God who guided faithful Daniel will guide his faithful people in the world. 
Many of us know that we are to be faithful to our God no matter the circumstances. We probably have heard that before. If you have come to church at all, you probably heard that. But what we see in this story is God's faithfulness to his faithful people. We ultimately see that in what Jesus has done. We have a fast-forward picture of that. We see the faithfulness of Christ, how Jesus was obedient to God's word perfectly. And he did so because that was the only way for unfaithful people like us to be saved, for a perfect, faithful Savior to save us. So Jesus obeyed the will of God by dying on our behalf because we would ultimately fail in being faithful. So now these faithful people that we see exemplified in Daniel applies to all of us because when we trust in the work of Christ, we are covered over by the work of Christ, by his faithfulness, by his sinlessness, and him dying on our behalf. And now we have the ability to continue in faithfulness because of Christ. And live like Christ, to be Christ-like in our lives, and to follow his word, to follow his commands. We have that ability because we are victorious over sin because of Jesus' resurrection and his claim of victory over sin and death. God will guide his faithful people in the world because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And in Romans 8, Paul asks us, And I'll read verses 35 to 39. He says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Then he goes on to say in 37 to 39, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in our all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. God made it so in his sovereign plan in sending Jesus to save us. God is faithful and he will see us through in Jesus Christ. No matter what we endure, ups and downs, persecutions, sufferings, if we have faith in Christ, we will receive eternity and we will be with him. And with that assurance, with that confidence, may we all be faithful no matter what happens to us, no matter what we face, may we boldly live for Christ and be faithful to him and him alone. And if you are in a position where you do not experience this comfort, this love, this grace, this security, this peace from God, perhaps you never truly trusted in Jesus. Or something is hindering you at this moment from seeing what Jesus has done. Whatever your, tr- your situation is, whatever it is right now, I ask that right now here in this moment, ask God that 
to help you to fix your eyes on Christ, to consider him, to consider what he has done for you, to trust in him with your whole life. Because it is in his arms, the arms of Christ, where we see the faithfulness of God that much more, where we experience his love that much more, where we see the goodness of following him no matter what is going on in our lives. So my hope and prayer is that all of you may see the joy and pleasure of following Christ in all our circumstances. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that through the life of Daniel and his friends, and we see his faithfulness, his, de- his desire, their desire to, to be undefiled, to be distinct from the Babylonians, to be faithful to the true and living God, to you. Lord, we see in our situation how we can be faithful. And it's through the work of Jesus Christ his victory over sin and death, Lord, now we can declare that you are faithful to us. And now we, Lord, help us to be faithful to you. And so, God, that is our prayer and hope here today. And so for those of us who are struggling with this, struggling to live faithfully, Lord, help us. Help us to see Christ. Help us to see the beauty of the gospel. Help us to see what he has done for us. Reveal your truth, O Lord. Reveal this to us here in this place. May you speak to us by your Spirit. God, we give you praise, give you thanks for all that you've done. Lord, we humbly ask for you to work in us. In Jesus' name we pray.